All right. We are in the midst of a series um, about the inheritance um, that we have that we want to greatly esteem the inheritance um, of our spiritual forefathers that is being passed down. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that today. But what we are doing for the entire month of February is that we are calling all members of Burning Tree Ministry to commit to prioritizing prayer in this next season. And so we are asking all of you to join us because we have a heart in this. We are seeking the Lord for a grace that we would esteem the spiritual inheritance of our forefathers. And you know, we've talked about this a little bit, but in the Korean church, and we are you know, a Korean church, although we welcome non-Koreans like me, and um, you're welcome here, but there is a spiritual inheritance in the Korean church um, for prayer especially. And the, church, um, the Korean church really has such a devotion to morning prayer. And the Lord has spoken to us and told us that this generation is despising that inheritance. And so coming into a spirit of agreement with that, we are making the decision to honor prayer and to prioritize it in this next season. We're taking sign-ups. We're going to take sign-ups today and next week, okay? Today and next week. Next week will be the last week to sign up or to solidify. If you need to change your commitments, you can do that until next week. After that, we're going to publish um, all of the signups. We're going to publish them and we're going to go into accountability where we're holding one another accountable to our commitments in prayer. And again, this is a minimum. It's not a maximum, but the heart and the idea here is that we are going to do this together. So if you have not yet signed up, I want to urgently plead with you, sign up with us, join us in committing to prayer in the season. And I want to share a little bit more. I mentioned the last time um, I spoke that I had a confirmation, a leader, um, you know, a leader, where is Jason living right now? I don't even know where he's living, but he's doing, um, he's working on the send. By the way, how many of you guys are going to the send next week? All right. Hey, come come up here. We're going to pray for you guys. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, um, there is a, there's an event going on in Florida next week, and it is, um, Is a prophetically ordained event, and we're praying that our people are going to get um, an impartation um, from this, okay? And it's, I know that they're sacrificing, um, they're giving their money and their time um, to go down there in hopes that they can join in what the Spirit is doing. Um, but I'm really encouraged. I feel like all of this is happening um, in the midst of this incredible move of God that is coming upon us that we get to be a part of. So right now, could we just stretch out our hands right now to these brothers and sisters? And can we just pray for them right now? If we could just have a little bit of music, let's pray for them for a couple minutes. Let's just ask that God would anoint them and give them an impartation and that they would be able to bring it back here and impart it to us. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we pray right now for these brothers and sisters. We pray, open up their ears, Lord. Open up their hearts. Oh, that you would pour in such an anointing, such a grace, such an impartation of your heart. We pray that the mantle of Billy Graham would fall upon this generation, Lord God. That you would send a signs and wonders movement to turn the heart of the nation and to send forth missionaries to all the nations of the earth, Lord. We pray for an inheritance, Lord God. We want an impartation. Father, we ask that you would bless the faith 
of these brothers and sisters who are sacrificing their money and time, Lord, believing for what you're doing in this generation, Lord God. We thank you for them, and we bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. I read something about the send, um, and I just felt like God put it in my heart. We need to send a team there. I sent a text message to Nick. I was like, Nick, I feel like you're supposed to lead a team to go to the send in Florida. And he text messaged me back, we're buying tickets already. <laughs> and I was like, all right, man, Nick is on it. The Lord's already speaking to him. So I'm really encouraged by this. Um, so Jason... Um, encouraged me by saying, you know, God's been speaking to many of us about this idea of a spiritual inheritance for the Korean American leaders in this generation. I met with um, Pastor Will Chung of um, the Meeting Place this week, and he said the same thing. Many pastors are getting this word. Many spiritual leaders are getting this word. The pastor of um, Sarang, Jeff, um, the EM pastor there, has also been hearing the Lord speaking about a spiritual inheritance that we need to contend for in this season. Sungo Park, a leader at YWAM based in Kona, another Korean-American leader, has been getting hearing from the Lord about a spiritual inheritance that we need to get. So I want to encourage us. This is not just for us. This is something that God is doing in our times, and I want us to be part of it. It is my holy jealousy and ambition that we would be a part of what God is doing in this generation. The times are getting serious, so it's time to get serious, church. So with that, let's open up to the book of Revelations, chapter 2. I want to commend those who have been coming out to morning prayer. For those of you who don't know, we've been doing morning prayer Tuesday through Saturday in this room. We've been doing morning prayer Tuesday to Saturday right here in this room. We also have been having Bob Hop going on, which is like a, um, an abiding house of prayer. You can just come and you can pray and you can worship. Several people have been coming to that. We are filling this place with worship and with prayer, and there's more to come. Revelations 2, we're going to start at verse 1 and go to verse 7. It says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you, have ha but you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Amen. Father, we ask that you would breathe on the word today, Lord God. Let your word go down deep into our hearts, Lord. Let it produce lasting and eternal fruit. We want our lives to matter in eternity, God. And we pray for the grace to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to say a number of things about this passage. This passage, this prophecy, this is the first of seven prophecies given to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. These are all churches in modern-day Turkey. By the way, we have, a, we have a missions team going to Turkey this summer. If you are interested in going to Turkey on a missions trip, 
Um, it's a joint BTM LifePoint missions trip. Um, you missed the information meeting that was earlier today, okay? But if you're interested, you can for sure still go to this thing, but you need to talk to me or one of the staff members, and we will connect you um, with the right people who will give you more information on the trip, okay? These churches um, in modern-day Turkey, God is speaking to them. Jesus is speaking to them, and he's giving them prophetic words. I want us to be able to recognize what true prophecy sounds like. This is very important. Okay, this is very important. What true prophecy sounds like. You're going to see a pattern that is repeated many times in true biblical prophecy. Number one, you're going to see affirmation. Number one, you're going to see affirmation. Number two, you're going to see correction and warning. And number three, you're going to see an offer of reward for faithfulness. Number one, you're going to see affirmation. Number two, you're going to see correction and warning. And number three, you're going to see an offer of reward for faithfulness. Okay, this pattern is very consistent in the scriptures and in much accurate prophecy. Okay, and this is important because right now God is purifying the prophetic in the church. He's purifying the prophetic in the church. What happens is if we have words that are all affirmation, and let me just pause right here and say that this type of prophecy is actually has actually become very popular and is all over the church right now where it's just affirmation and i want to take a second and explain some things because in our own prophetic training here at btm that we do at our ignite conference we tell people who are just starting in prophecy to only give positive encouraging affirming words okay and the heart of this is because when we're starting to grow in prophecy, what we want to do is get attuned, okay, to this heart of encouragement. And part of the reason that is one, of the, one mistake that is easy to make in prophecy is to rebuke in a way that really tears a person down. And that's our heart when we teach that. But I also really try to be explicit that it's not that God does not give corrective prophetic words. Okay, corrective prophetic words are very important, are found all throughout the scriptures, okay? And as we grow and as we mature in the gift of prophecy, we should absolutely be giving corrective words, that that's part of what we do. Amen? Okay? But what we see here is if, if we give all affirming words, what can happen is we can start to enter into a place of deception where we believe that God does not ever give correction. Now, that is hard to justify biblically. Okay, it is hard to read basically any chapter of the Bible and come to the conclusion that God no longer corrects. Or rebukes okay in almost every single chapter of the entire Bible okay there's some aspect of correction rebuke warning this is in this is intrinsic this is an innate to the heart of God that's not because God is a strict you know overly harsh father it's because we are sheep We're, okay there's a place for the shepherd to be like good sheep I love you sheep but if the shepherd never uses the stick, okay, that sheep ain't going to stay on the right course. And that's humility that we should know. We need his correction. That's not because we're particularly bad sheep. That's because we are sheep. And scripture is pretty consistent on this. Okay, we are immature. We have lots of faults. We are broken in many ways. 
It is impossible for us to walk in such a way where we never need correction. So as children of God, we should expect that God is going to correct us regularly, and we should not take that as a sign of rejection. Scripture is very clear about this, that he corrects the one that he loves. So do not despise the Lord's discipline. Right? As a father corrects his children, so the Lord corrects us. And when we understand his heart in correction, we don't fear it, we desire it. Knowing that his correction is given to us to bless us, to be a blessing. It's because it's a sign of his acceptance. You know who the Lord doesn't correct? Those that aren't his. Okay, one of the greatest judgments in the scripture is where God allows people to go deeper into their own sin. He, does, he stops correcting them. And what he does, he lets them go deeper and deeper into their own sin, and then he brings judgment. Okay, that, that's the type that should really scare us. It should scare us if we never get a sense of correction from the Lord. Okay? But that's what happens if we just give affirmative prophecies. If we just give positive prophecies all the time, that's the only kind that we believe is from God, you enter into error. At the same time, if you only give correction and warning, if every word that you get for somebody is always a rebuke, newsflash, you're the one that needs a rebuke. Okay? What you'll do is you will discourage the heck out of people. You will give them the sense that God is impossible to please. This is the same spirit in which it says, fathers, right? Bring your children up in the discipline of the Lord, right? But do not exasperate them. Okay, this is the same heart. True prophecy is not overly corrective. And it's not constantly warning you and threatening you. Okay, it has to have both. There's affirmation. There's a recognition of the good that you are doing. And this is important because God delights in our faith even when our faith looks very small in our sight. A lot of times for us, especially in an Asian culture, we're very used to getting correction and it's very hard for us to hear affirmation from the Lord. And I want to say it's very important that you recognize that God takes delight in even your weak faith, even your weak worship, God takes delight in it. But there's also a need for correction for us. Okay? Both of those things are important. And in true prophecy, almost always, there'll be both. There'll be affirmation and correction. And then lastly, the third, there'll be an offer of reward. An offer of reward. And always, they will be, it will be conditional. Okay? It'll be a conditional offer of reward. If you overcome, if you are faithful, if you do this, if you obey this command, if you do this, you get a reward. What does that mean? It means if you don't do it, there's no reward. Okay, there's a lot of teaching in the body of Christ that's all about, don't worry, God's going to bless you. Really? Really? Because he blesses you if you obey. Okay, this is a delusion to think that God just blesses, just hands out blessings for for anything, for nothing. No, no, no. His blessings are important. They matter. And they come according to our faithfulness and obedience. If we do not obey, then we do not get the blessing. Okay? And this is important. Why? Because his rewards are worth it. 
His rewards are worth it. His blessings are worth it. When we look at areas of lack in our lives, we should understand that God is the one who can give us the things that we need. Scripture is very clear on this. If we delight ourselves in the Lord, he'll give us the desires of our hearts. But sometimes we just we remove the if, right? Like delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. No, no. If you delight yourself, right? If we delight ourselves in the Lord, right? He will give us the desires of our hearts. If we are faithful to obey, then we'll receive great reward. And this is an important point. There's a lot of teaching. And, and I understand because many teachers in the body are very concerned about this idea of earning your salvation. So let's be very clear about this. You cannot, through good works, earn your salvation. Okay, are we all very clear on that? This is, you know, Pelagianism hasn't been taught in the body for like 1,800 years. Okay, I've literally never heard anyone teach that. But there's still this fear that it's being taught somewhere. So let's just be very careful to be clear on that. Okay, no, you cannot earn your salvation just through good works. It comes by faith, okay, and it comes by God's grace. But if we're talking about the rewards and if we're talking about the blessings of the Lord... Well, those come by works. Those come by works. And this is important because it's the understanding that our actions matter that gives us the grace to be faithful when it's hard. Let me put it to you this way. How many of you guys would study hard enough to get A's if you got no reward from it? Don't lie to me. None of y'all would. That's how it works in our lives right? When the reward is clear, then we're willing to be disciplined. When the reward is clear and we go, it's worth it, then we're willing to work hard. If there is no sense of reward, if we don't know what the discipline, what the hardship will bring us, then we cannot discipline ourselves in a great way. And now can I say this? That is the case for us as Christians. So many Christians know they should pray more. No, they should be more obedient in different ways. But they have no idea of the reward that's attached to that obedience. And so they're constantly just telling themselves, come on, Dennis. You got to pray, man. And then the prayer meeting happens, but I'm so tired. Oh, I'm so tired. And that's the moment. Well, what's the reward for prayer? I don't know. But I know what the reward for not praying is. I get to watch this Netflix show, right? I know what the reward for not praying is. That's obvious to me. And this is the point. When the reward for not obeying seems greater than the reward for obeying, it's almost impossible to obey. Church, we need a revelation of the rewards for obedience. If we could see clearly what we would get with great faithfulness, then we would have grace to be super obedient in our life. This is what scripture says. My people perish for lack of vision. It says write the vision and make it plain so that those who see it can run with it. It's the vision that enables us to run the race with endurance. Okay, no one can be an Olympic athlete without a vision 
to be it. You can't do it. You can't discipline yourself to wake up early in the morning and to run hard. You can't do it unless you have a compelling vision in your heart. Church, we need a more compelling vision of what it's like to be greatly faithful than to be greatly studious. Many of us have a vision of what it's what the rewards are of being greatly studious. And can 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 we pause right here and say those rewards are pretty bomb? Okay, if you're very studious, well, you can expect that you are going to get a pretty dang good job. You're going to make some good money. Girls are going to like you. Some of you are like, what? I didn't know. You're going to be able to drive a nice car. You're going to buy all the video games you want. I don't know. What else do people want money with? You can go to Hawaii whenever you want to. Whatever, okay? Those are all the rewards for being studious. That's why so many people will apply themselves, right? They'll apply themselves in their studies, even though it costs them, right? Even though they don't get to party as much as their friends. Even though they have to, like, study these books and go to the cafe or go to the library when everybody else is doing fun stuff, they'll be disciplined. Why? Because the vision is clear to them. So, church, I want us to understand God is raising up heroes of the faith in this season. There is a move of the spirit that is it's, it's amongst us. It's amongst us right now. Do you understand? We're living in times that I think saints of old long to see that these are the times that many people who prophetically saw them in the past long to see and be part of because God is pouring out his spirit right now in this time for a worldwide revival in which many, many people are going to be saved, in which many nations are going to be restored. It's happening right now and the spirit of the Lord is looking throughout the earth, seeing whose hearts are wholly devoted to him so that he can strengthen them. He can mark them by his spirit and pour out grace on their lives. And that's my ambition for you. That's why I'm here, church, because I believe by the spirit that God wants to raise up many of you. So let's hear what the spirit is saying to the church because I believe this word to the church of Ephesus is similar to the word that he would give to the Asian American church today in America. And it's this. He knows about our hard work and our perseverance. He knows about these things. If there's one thing we have going for us, man, we are hard workers. God bless us. And this is commendable before God. This is commendable before God. And I want to declare that to many of you. Many of you give much of your time, right? You give much of your time to wake up early to go to prayer meetings sometimes, right? Sometimes you're staying out late because you're counseling other students. Many of you guys are serving on staff teams. Some of you guys are serving in ministry teams where you have to come to church at weird hours of the day and do stuff. But you're willing to do it because you have a servant heart and you want to serve. You want to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. You want to serve the church and its vision. And I say, good job for you. Good job for you. This is great. We have a hard-working culture, and it matters, okay? Work matters in the kingdom, and I want to say good job for many of us who have been working hard. 
I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. This is a real one also. Look, there are many churches in America today that are teaching an ancient heresy. It goes something like this. That God's grace is so great that even if you practice sin, his grace will cover you. And to that, the scriptures give a resounding, yeah, right. It says, do not be deceived. Those who practice sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who call themselves Christians and practice sin are deceiving themselves. They should test themselves to see whether they're truly in the faith. That's what scripture says. Now I need to make a distinction, as I have many times before, that there is a difference between putting God first and stumbling into sin. If that's the case, then we say, thank God that his mercies are new every single morning. Because we all stumble in many ways. Because of our immaturity, we stumble. That means we fall into sin. sin. And for those of us who are putting the kingdom first, we're putting God first in our lives, but we stumble into sin. Well, here's the truth. God's very merciful with us. Amen. He's very merciful with us. And I love, I love this mercy. I need so much of his mercy. But there's a deception that that same mercy also applies to those who are not putting God first in their lives. Here's where I need to be really clear. If you are content with a lukewarm faith, do not be misled and think that God's mercy applies to you. If you are content with having idols in your life that are more important than God, well, let me be clear. You cannot be his disciple. If that's the case, then you are the rocky soil that Jesus warns about. You are the one who never develops deep roots. When hardship and persecution come, you'll fall away. No, he must be first, and he's jealous for that position of being first. He demands that every idol in our lives be smashed. There is no mercy for idolatry, church. There's no mercy for idolatry. This is the part where many Christians really struggle. They Look, I was in a, a Korean-American youth group in San Diego. Many of those who are in my youth group are no longer walking with the Lord because they never sacrificed their idols to the Lord. They never laid down that thing that was more important than Jesus. They thought that they could have Jesus be second, third, fourth, fifth priority in their lives. And the Lord warns us, no, I will not be. No, I will not be. And he gives you time to repent. You get a season. But he warns you, every branch in me that bears no fruit is cut off and thrown into the fire. You have a season to repent. So I say this lovingly to you. If you thought that you could be a Christian and have Jesus on the side, I lovingly warn you. Repent and put him first in your life. Lay down the idol. Lay down whatever is more important to you than him. Lay it down while you have time. Because there is nothing that is worth more than him. He is the one who grants life to all of those who do this. And the way it's tested is in our obedience, church. Okay, our obedience is 
the evidence that our faith is genuine and real. Our obedience is. I didn't realize this when I was a sophomore in high school, warring, wrestling, because I knew that God was speaking to me and telling me to stop playing video games. I didn't realize what was at stake. I was like, I know God wants me to do it. But what if I don't? I didn't have anybody who said, Dennis, you have to do it. If you don't do it, you'll probably fall away from the faith. But by God's grace, I did it. And I say the same thing to you. If you're wrestling with an idol in your life, the time is now. The time is now. Do not harden your heart if you hear the Lord's voice today. Do not harden your heart. No, repent of idolatry. Lay it down. Why? Because you have a destiny that's eternal. God has plans for you that are so much greater than that weak plan you had for your life. Your plan for your life with an idol sucks. Think about it. Imagine, let's say, that I was not willing to lay down my video game before the Lord. What would I get? More useless hours, that's what I would get in front of the screen. You know, I get little feelings of happiness, right, and big feelings of shame. You know, I would get a lot of wasted time. Can I tell you, there are people that are, you know, great rulers in the virtual world, right? Lords of the world of Warcraft. The guild masters, right? They're famous in their virtual worlds, okay? Now, I say this because I totally understand this. I understand how compelling that is, actually. All right? A lot of compassion for this. But standing on the other side, you can see how ridiculous the dream is, right? What does it gain a man to win the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? As the scripture says, this world and all the things in it are passing away. You what you need to understand is that to be the king of this world it's the same as being the king of the world of Warcraft. It's the same. The one who gives themselves to be a great CEO and to make billions of dollars, who gives his life to that. From the Lord's perspective, that person is no different than the one who gives himself to be virtually great. And so I say with that heart, lay it down because we have a destiny that we've got to pursue. Lay it down. We've got a mission we've got to do. We have something that matters in eternity. And this is what everyone is looking for in this life. Understand, our generation is so desperate for real calling, for a real sense of destiny and purpose on their lives. So much so that they're making it up. Do you guys see this, this story this week about the actor who attacked himself? Do you guys see this story? It is a ridiculous story. Okay, there's an actor on some show. He paid some guys to accost him and yell, this is MAGA country, right? And the police have just exposed him and shown that actually he set this whole thing up. Why? Because he wants to be part of a movement, that's why. And I tell you, there's so many young people, especially these days, that have so deluded themselves because they see themselves as part of a great movement. And they don't realize they are part of a great movement. 
a great demonic movement. But the Lord knows this is something he has built into us. He's built it into us. We have this need, this longing for purpose. But you have to understand, this is a reward for those who overcome. This is a reward for those who overcome. And it's not easy. It was not intended to be easy. It was intended to be difficult. You need to understand, most people choose the path of least resistance. Most people choose the path of least resistance. If they happen to be at church when a prayer meeting is going on, they're like, oh, okay. But if they happen to be at home and the prayer meeting is 15 miles away, well, mm -hmm. And this is life for most people. We're choosing the path of least resistance. But you have to understand, this is antithetical to the way that the kingdom works. The kingdom is designed to reward overcomers. It is designed to fashion, to nurture, to develop those who would overcome the difficulties in your life. God designed the Bible to be really hard. I say this all the time. The Bible is the hardest book on the planet, bar none. It's the most difficult. I have a master's degree. I was telling this to somebody this week. I have a master's degree in the Bible. I tell him, that master's degree, I probably learned about 10% of my biblical knowledge, right, from my time in school. But all my biblical knowledge, I still feel like I understand like 20% of the Bible. And that's probably, you know, I'm probably deluded, right? In the age to come, it's probably it's like 1%, right? <laughs> But my point is this, it's hard. I know it's hard. I know it's hard, church. I have so much compassion for you guys because I know how difficult it is to walk in faith. I know how hard it is to choose to study this book that seems so old and it seems like it doesn't apply to my life. I get it. I know how hard it is to just sit in the room. I told you what I did. I literally got rid of everything else in my room. I just had a mattress. I didn't even have a bed frame. I had a mattress had no desk. I had my computer sitting on the ground. Computer with no programs on it. Had a word processor, right? And Winamp. <laughs> Man, they don't even have that program anymore, right? And my guitar, my trusty guitar. And piles of clothes all around. And that was my room, consecrated unto the Lord, right? With nothing to distract me, right? I was determined that I was going to spend time with God. And I say... There's no way to get great anointing on your life without that kind of determination. This is the thing. People want, they want to be greatly anointed. They want to hear God's voice. They want to do great works. But I tell you, everyone that's great, greatly anointed has great testimonies of what it has cost them to get it. There's not one person who is greatly anointed. And this is the, this is the subject because many times we can look at those people and go, God, why did you choose them and you didn't choose me? But I say, that's a lie. No, the calling is the same for you. It's whoever would die to themselves. Whoever would die to themselves, God will raise. He raises us up in his life to the degree that we will die to ourselves. That's what this is about. And so I say this. 
Don't be discouraged if that's you. Step one is being able to look at those who are anointed by the Lord to recognize, wow, that's amazing. I would love to be like that. That is step one. You know what step zero is? Why would anyone want to be like those guys? That's step zero. All right. No concept of the anointing. No concept of what it means to be great in God at all. That's spiritually blind. Okay. Step one is where you get a sense of, oh, I can recognize. I can see it. I can see what greatness looks like. I can feel the anointing on certain people. I recognize that this person knows God in some way, and I want that. If that's you, good for you. Good for you. That's a great desire. That's a great desire because that's how I feel all the time when I look at Abraham and David. I look at David and I say, God, make me like him, oh God. Give me a heart that's after your heart. Make me an overcomer, a man of great faith. I look at David and I'm like, he's a hero of mine. I look at Peter. I'm like, how can he be like this? Why did he think to say, Jesus, if it's you, call me out to walk on the water? I would never have even thought that. I would have just sat in the boat and be like, dang, that's amazing. <laughs> but Peter, for whatever reason, this thought comes into his mind and he's like, maybe I can do that too. You understand? There's a reason why Peter was chosen. It's because of that heart that said, maybe I can do that too. I spoke at Long Beach House Church the other day. And I rebuked the heck out of them like I'm rebuking the heck out of everybody. It was a loving rebuke because I love them so much and I believe in them. But I want to offer the same gift to us all. Okay? And it's this. Church, let's repent of false modesty. Okay? False modesty is this, this, I, this fear of presumption. Right? This fear of presumption. This thing that goes, oh yeah, they're super gifted and great, but... You know, that's not really for me. And that's okay. I'm okay with that, God. Right? I'm humble. I'll be more humble. Right? No, can I tell you what you are? You are the one that God gave a talent to. And you're like, oh, I'm just going to hide that talent. Just stay with it. And you know what the Lord says at the end of the age? He says, you wicked and lazy servant. Do you not know that you could have had whatever you asked for in prayer? It wasn't your humility. It was your, it was your pride and your lack of faith. You never contended. You never overcame. You thought those obstacles that were in front of you were to say no to you. You're not supposed to go past here. When the scripture says all things are possible for those who believe. No, the obstacles in front of you are for you to overcome. Yes, the Bible's hard. Master it. Yes, prayer is hard. Master it. Yes, the guitar, the keyboard, they're hard. They're not that hard. I think everyone should be playing a musical instrument. Well. I don't think I should have to beg you. By the way, I'm meeting with you musicians after service today, right? I shouldn't have to beg you. You should already be excellent in many musical instruments. 
Why? Because the thing in the way, it's not an inability. It's a lack of vision and it's a lack of faith. Learn it. This is what I'm saying. I believe God's spoken to me. We're to, we need 10 times as many worship leaders as we've had. 10 times. Okay. We need 10 times for the move of God that's coming. I was texting with another pastor earlier today. And he said the Lord is calling him to raise up worshipers and musicians all over. I told him the Lord just spoke to me that we need 10 times. He's like, yep. That's it. That's it. I think one third of our community is supposed to be worship leaders. We've got about, what, 100 something? It's about 30 of you at least. And the rest of you are supposed to be able to play instruments. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. Okay? This is the, this is, this is, man, we're not even getting into the greater gifts. This is just the minor gifts. But how do you get the greater gifts without faithfulness and the minor gifts? And this is what I mean, church. We've done good, yet God says, yet this I hold against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. I'm declaring this right now to the Korean American church. That's you, second generation Korean Americans. You have not had the devotion to intimacy with the Lord that your spiritual forefathers did. You have been content being rich in the world. You have been content having nice ministries. But you have not contended for intimacy in the way that your grandparents did. So repent. Do the things you did at first. And if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. This is a warning to the Korean American church in this generation. God is going to remove our lampstand if we will continue to despise prioritizing prayer like our spiritual forefathers did. You need to understand, our spiritual forefathers were great men and women of God. They were great men and women of God. They gave themselves to prayer. And because they gave themselves to prayer, God burdened their hearts for missions. Thousands of Koreans gave their lives to carry the gospel all over the world because they had given themselves to prayer. That's our inheritance, church. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And yet in our generation, you know what's happening? The Korean church is dying. It is dying on our watch. When it should be thriving. When it should be going so much farther. Morning prayer? Ha! Huh? How about day and night prayer? How about 24-7, round the clock, prayer and worship? In the spirit of the tabernacle of David. In the pattern set by the revelation in heaven, the elders saying, holy, 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 all day and night. That's what we're, we're getting to. Why do you think we need 10 times as many musicians? And it's that prayer movement that is going to launch 200,000 missionaries from America alone to all the nations of the earth. It is that prayer movement. That's what I'm talking about. And that's what we're moving towards. Okay, this is a step forward in this season. It's just a step. But I tell you, we're going to keep stepping forward. My desire is that all of us would be spending four hours in the prayer room 
every single day. How is that possible, Pastor Dennis? You're crazy. No, no, no. God's crazy. But I'm serious. What do you think it means to be a nation of priests? What do you think it means? This is the model that is proliferating around the world. This is the model that's proliferating around the world because the Spirit of the Lord is breathing on it in this season. And here's, and even though it sounds like spiritual death, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find there the intimacy that you've always wanted with God. You're going to find the ability to hear His voice like you always hoped you would be able to hear it. You're going to find the dynamic place of provision where God provides for you the things that you need. That's what I'm talking about, church. God is going to raise up the bride of Christ that has made herself ready, that loves the bridegroom with all of her heart, not just in word, but in deed. And it's going to unleash the greatest work, the outpouring of the Spirit, of miracles, signs, and wonders. The church is going to be restored in the fullness that God has always intended it to be, to the fullness of the stature, the maturity of Christ, to rightly fit him who is the head. All that has been spoken of by the apostles and the prophets of old shall surely come to pass, but it must mean that this style of ministry that is popular today must die. All of this stuff about having a big church where people show up for one hour a week, give me a break. That's not biblical Christianity. That is American bastardized Christianity. One hour a week. God bless us. No, it's going to be so much better than that church. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I say this. This is the season for overcoming. I'm not sugarcoating it. I'm not saying that it's easy, and I'm not saying that all of you are coming with us. What I am saying is that those who overcome in this season, who prioritize intimacy, we're going someplace awesome. Come with us. Don't get left behind. It's not worth it. Nothing this world has to offer is worth it. Why would you forfeit an eternal glorious destiny to be the king of a virtual world. Let it go. It's time to go deep in the place of prayer. If you haven't seen yourself as a prayer warrior, it is time to get an identity from the Spirit of the Lord. This is who you are created to be. You will find that you will come alive in the place of prayer. If you will let God break, you're the way that you see yourself. The way that you see yourself is not the way that the Lord sees you. He's got to crush your self-identity. He's got to crush your vision of your life apart from the Spirit of God. And you've got to let him do it. Can I tell you what a lack of prayer is? It is a spiritual pride. It says, I don't need to do it. Church, let's embrace humility. Worship team, come on up. I want to invite the Spirit of God and hear me. <clears throat> We're doing good. <laughs> 
I know I'm yelling a lot. That's a good thing. We're doing good, church. I have real hope. I know that for many of us, we've been earnestly putting the Lord first in our lives. I want to say, you're doing good. You're doing good. I'm so encouraged by everything that the Lord is speaking and by what he's doing. Don't grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Today, I want to do an altar call. This is what I'm going to ask. This is a a, a serious altar call. There was a word that Jeremiah Johnson put forward this week that I believe was important. And it's this idea that God is pouring out a spirit of brokenness. And I felt felt wind on the word. What I sensed is this, that for many of you, you've been trying hard. You get vision sometimes from the Lord, and then you try so hard to be faithful. But eventually your vision runs out so quickly. And then you're stuck in a place where you're even more disappointed. You say, well, I tried before and it didn't work. What I want to lovingly tell you is this. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't do it in your own strength. None of us can. None of us can be like Jesus just through sheer willpower. It's not possible. We need God to transform us. And the way that we do that is we submit, we surrender to to him breaking us. He's got to break us. He's got to break areas of pride in our hearts. He's got to break old expectations. He's got to break old dreams, old priorities. He's got to break these things in our life. He has to crush us. Scripture likens us to fruits of the vine. And when we're crushed, our life becomes wine that's poured out. This is what has to happen, church. We have to submit and surrender to his crushing. It doesn't, it doesn't seem so appealing. But can I tell you, it is the most glorious thing when the Lord crushes us. He wounds us for a time. But he always restores us in a much greater way. Jacob was living his life, stealing and deceiving, trying to amass great wealth. And he finally came to the end of himself and he realized, I really, really, really need God. And for a whole night, he wrestled all night long with an angel. And he would not let him go. He said, I won't let you go until you bless me. I won't let you go. I need you. I can't do this on my own. And from that place, the Lord wounded him. And he changed his name. He said, Jacob, no longer you will be the supplanter, the betrayer, the liar, the deceiver. That's no longer who you are. And I say that you're Israel. You're one who struggles with God, who contends with God, who rules with God. And he gave him a destiny. Church, God, I believe, is asking that you would let him break you in this season. Would you let him crush you? 
Would you let him change your entire life, your entire life's priorities, all of it? His promise is that it will be well worth it. If that's your heart, if you just want to say, Lord, I want you to crush me, Lord God, in this season, Lord. I want you to break. I want you to shake everything that can be shaken, oh God. Because I want this. I want my life to be for your glory. I want you to pour out your grace on my life. I want to invite you up right now as a prophetic sign that you're saying, God, I do want this. I'm giving you permission. Come in. Do whatever you need to do. Crush my life, God. Give me a spirit of brokenness in this hour. Okay, this isn't an, this isn't an impartation day, okay? We're not going to go around praying for you. This is a prophetic sign, but now we're just going to go before the Lord in prayer. As the worship team worships, worships, let's just go before him right now. See, I'm in the same place too. I want God to pour out a greater grace on my life. Let's come before him right now. Let's just enter into prayer. If you, if you know you have idols in your life, come on, don't harden your heart. Right now, lay it down. Sacrifice the idol. Don't miss out on the overcoming life that God has for you. There's no easy path to greatness. It's always hard. Let's make the hard decision. Let's say, God, take it all. Take my life. Take it all. Consecrate yourself, church. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. This is the season for consecration. This is the season for holiness. He's calling his people deeper. Let's dive into it. Let's run into the place of holiness. Right now, let's just go into prayer. Let's ask him for grace.